Welcome to MuggleCast episode 379. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. And Mike is not here this week. And we thought, well, we'll definitely have a guest on, as we've been doing. But maybe since Micah isn't here, we'll bring on two guests to, to replace such a mammoth figure on the podcast. We're joined by two of our patrons this week, Alex and Stephanie. Hello, girls. Hi. Hello. It's nice to have you both on. Alex, how long have you been listening to the show? Oh, gosh. Since I was... So probably going about nine years now. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Long time. Yes. How about you, Stephanie? Um, I've only been listening for about three years, ever since I started working and commuting. And I said to myself, why don't I have a Harry Potter podcast? So I tried a whole bunch <laughs> and uh, oh. landed on this one. And I love it. That's awesome. So That's... what do you do? Like go into the iTunes store and search Harry Potter podcast? Yes. And I tried a lot of them and I hated all of them. Oh, sorry. I don't want to be mean to <laughs> your competitors. <laughs> I hated all of them. They're all terrible. Well, I think I think we have a relaxed show here. It's, uh, you know, it's laid back. It's it's honest. It's fun. It's and Micah's now. voice, right? <laughs> Micah's voice. I know. People are drawn to that voice. We, all, we don't know how he does it. <laughs> we don't know how he does it. Uh, in the words of Lady Gaga, he was born that way. Oh. I would love to know what his voice was like as a child. Anyway. <laughs> what if he was always what if he always had that low tone? That's what I'm wondering like now. A little four year old that walks up and just Give me my smooth. bottle. <laughs> it would be really funny if the episode that Micah's not on, he gets back from his uh, work conference and sees it's titled Baby Micah. <laughs> He's going to listen to that one real quick. Be, yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. He'll be terrified. Anyway, let's get both of your uh, fandom IDs. Stephanie, let's start with you. In one breath, we want to hear your favorite book, movie, um, Hogwarts House, Ilver Morning House, and Patronus. Okay, I'm so excited. All right. Um, okay, my favorite book is Half-Blood Prince, so I'm really excited to be here today. Uh, my favorite movie, I do not like any of the movies, but if I had to <laughs> pick, <laughs> I would pick Sorcerer's Stone or Deathly Hallows Part 1. And even though I hate all the movies, I've been to every midnight showing, so try to figure that one out. Um, <laughs> Hogwarts House, I'm a Ravenclaw. My Ilvermorny House is Thunderbird, and my Patronus is a Stoat. Twins. Yeah. Oh, how many? How many of those? Uh, um. Well, I'm a Thunderbird and a Stoat, but and I Raven was really Claw, meant the right? the Stoat Patronus. I don't know anybody else who's got a Stoat Patronus. I don't either. I had to. I had to look it up, and it was a weasel, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, not only that, but Hagrid feeds the children Stoat in book one, oh. and they hate it. <laughs> I don't yeah, remember the, that. The trio oh, literally eat. Stoat sandwiches. Stoat I just sandwiches. Remember are... from Frasier, there's this line where I don't know if you've ever watched Frasier, but there's this line yeah. where he says Randy as a stoat. And that's the only thing I know about stoat. Oh my god. No, if you Google Stoat sandwich image, the first image result is this beautiful fan art of the children with disgusted looks on their faces and Hagrid's hand reaching out with this greasy, drippy, like meat. And I'm like, I was so offended when I found out my Patronus was a stoat. I tweeted J.K. Rowling right away. I was like, hey, J.K. Rowling, looks like Hagrid eats my Patronus. If I eat my Patronus, do I gain its power? Um, But it it turns out, and then I embarked on a quest to see if I could get a stoat sandwich anywhere in the U.S. But it turns out you can't. The the Mm. food and drug, they don't import 
Stoke weasel meat. sandwiches. Yeah, weasel sa- yeah, weasel sandwiches, exactly. <laughs> so you have to go to Scotland where the darn things run rampant, apparently. Oh my goodness. Anyway, <laughs> Alex, let's get your fandom ID now. All right. Same, same questions, one breath. Okay. Um, favorite book is also Half-Blood Prince. Ooh. Movie is Sorcerer's Stone. My Hogwarts house is Hufflepuff. Ilvermorny is Wampus, and my Patronus is a dolphin, which I have not heard of anybody eating, thankfully. Yes. And that is way better than a stoat. (laughs) (laughs) You know, the thing with it is, though, is I hate the water. Like, can't stand going in the water. So when I saw that my Patronus was a dolphin, I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. 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 I mean, they uh, they're smart. They learn quickly. They uh, tend to value, um, you know, family groups. I don't know. True. Kind of Hufflepuffy and also Ravenclaw. Yeah. So, yeah. That is good. Well, well, again, thank you both for joining us. And and finally, I wanted to have a little challenge with both of you since Micah isn't on. I want to get both of your best <laughs> Micah impressions. Stephanie, do you want to go first? You can just use that line or you can make up your own. Sure. Um, okay, I got to get in the zone. Uh, <laughs> okay. Uh, live from the MuggleCast News Center in New York, I'm Micah. <laughs> <laughs> I like how you kind of move slowly through that statement, too. He does have a very slow, you know, methodical tone and, and, That's true. and pace. <laughs> yeah. Alex, you do your best one now. All right. <clears throat> Getting ready here. This is MuggleCast 379, and my name is Micah. Pretty good. <laughs> also got the cadence down, Pat. Uh, I don't think either of you went deep enough, to be honest with you, but that's okay. Well, I went pretty deep. <laughs> <laughs> You're not. You two aren't men. That's the problem. <laughs> Mom, bring me my bottle. I'm Micah. I'm a year old. I'm already this deep. <laughs> in truth we miss micah we can't wait we do for him of to course be. yeah of course we do of course we just wanted to have a little fun while he's away um so there isn't much news to talk about but we want to mention that leaky con is coming up this week eric and you are going to be there yes i am and i want to see anybody else who's going to be there so uh, there's not uh, currently a meetup scheduled uh, for this podcast, but I am doing, I think, four panels uh, throughout the weekend. So just try and attend one of those. I'll be hanging out after. Um, but there's a number of cool ones, including books versus movies on Saturday morning. It's actually like an 11 a.m. slot, so uh, it's not too, too early in the morning. But that's going to be the big one. Uh, between me and Promacosla, and and that's a heck of a lot of fun, and a bunch of others as well, including there's two on Potter Podcasting. One is called Keeping It Fresh, and that's the one I'm on, and then the other one with other Harry Potter podcast hosts is called Harry Potter, double D, Harry Potter. Oh, I get it. Brilliant. So, yeah, I'll be in the audience for that one, but uh, some good panels and everything at LeakyCon if you are going. Um Look me up in the schedule. It's under my name. You can see all the ones I'm going to be a part of on the panel. In other words, you know, I'm looking forward to kind of just checking out the programming and hanging at the con this weekend. So if you are there, tweet at me or let me know what you were up to and yeah, come say hi. And before we get to chapter by chapter today, just a couple of 
notices. First of all, um, the Patreon mugs, they have been going out. It's been so much fun seeing everybody receive their mugs. All domestic orders have been shipped now and should have arrived. Um, We are going to be sending out the international ones probably in a few weeks, Eric, because we want to make sure those are packaged nice and safely for their trip yeah yeah so what we saw when we shipped out all the domestic there were 600 domestic packages which is real real impressive uh you know massive undertaking um a couple of them did get damaged in transit so uh we actually have a system in place that we need you to know about listeners or patrons specifically um if your mug arrived and it and it was not you know a hundred percent up to standard you Please do need to let us know. The whole deal, I mean, we're placing them at no cost to anybody who got a broken one. So absolutely 100%. uh, Please let us know. You can email me, which my email is eric at staff.mugglenet.com. So just two things to keep in mind. There's a mug receipt form and my email. Alex and Stephanie, I take it you both received yours? Yes, um, I have. And it came in perfect condition. Um, my yeah. husband's actually really jealous, and he's probably used the mug more times than I have at this point. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Glad to hear that. One benefit of uh, supporting us on Patreon is that beginning this year with the mugs, we are going to be sending out a physical gift every year. So if you've been thinking about supporting us, now's a great time to sign up. You've already missed the mug window, but we have tons of other benefits. And then come 2019, we will be sending out another physical benefits uh that will be to be determined yeah but it probably won't be fragile it probably will not be made out of ceramic i'm just saying that right now (laughs) we'll we'll make it we'll make it something easier to ship if you've seen these boxes that people are sending oh my (laughs) god but eric's been doing a great job of keeping it all organized um every patreon would be lucky to have him to manage their physical goods oh shuck so good work eric Thanks, Andrew. Anyway, uh, before we get to chapter by chapter, it is chapter two this week of Half-Blood Prince. And uh, Stephanie and Alex, I'm so glad we have you on because you both said your favorite book is Half-Blood Prince. And I know, Alex, you said this is one of your all-time favorite chapters, the one we're going to be talking about today. But before we get to that, it's time to hear from one of our sponsors. Yeah, this week's episode of MuggleCast is brought to you by Puffs, the play for seven years. A certain boy wizard went to a certain wizard school and conquered evil. This, however, is not his story. This is the story of the Puffs, who just happened to be there, too. (laughs) (laughs) A tale for anyone who has never been destined to save the world, reads the bio. Uh, Puffs the Play, we've we've had them before as a sponsor of our show. We're thrilled to be able to let you know about them again. Uh, Puffs is playing off-Broadway in New York City at New World Stages. And the critically acclaimed play gives you a new look at the familiar adventure from the perspective of three potential heroes just trying to make it through a magical school that proves to be very dangerous for children. Their epic journey takes the classic story to new places and reimagines what a boy wizard hero can be. So I was fortunate enough to see this play in April of this year. And I got to say how refreshing it was to finally see Hufflepuff House get its due. So the play absolutely dominated the space that it was in, by the way. New World stages, like, it's it's an amazing little, like, location uh, and stage. And, and all the performers delivered a performance that was memorable, funny, and occurred at a breakneck speed. 
The pacing is such that you barely have time to stop laughing before the next funny line is being delivered. And you never know which character from Harry Potter is about to be roasted next. So uh, it's 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 good stuff. Uh, and, and also, yeah. you know, Australians, uh, the show is in Melbourne still for uh, about another week. It was extended. The, the final extension for the Melbourne performance uh, is running through August 12th at the Alex Theater St. Kilda. Uh, and as far as New York goes, that'll keep running indefinitely. So that's fantastic. We have um, hopefully it outlasts Cursed Child. That's what I want to see. <laughs> I want to see Cur- Cursed Child closes due to low attendance after 10, 15 years. Hopefully Puff will still be there. So uh, if you are considering going to see this Hufflepuff themed play, uh, we have a discount. It's a special ticket price for MuggleCast listeners. Visit puffstheplay.com slash MuggleCast to learn more and access a special ticket price for the show in New York City. Once again, that's puffstheplay.com slash MuggleCast. Have you guys seen this show? I did get to see it when it was in theaters um, streaming a yeah. couple of months ago. And right. it was amazing. As a fellow Puff, I was in love. Yeah, oh, I want so to see it so bad. There's a lot. There's a lot. Yeah, we've it. had a great relationship with Puffs, and I'm so glad that they wanted to sponsor us because I mean it's so easy to promote this show because we we tell people about it, and then we hear back from people who saw it, and we're like, oh my god, I love that. That was so great, mm-hmm. and so it's just so nice to you know get the word out about this show. It's just made by true fans, you know. Thanks again, Puffs, and if if you need that link. We will have it on the MuggleCast website for that special deal. Puffstheplay.com slash MuggleCast. Oh, yeah. Okay, so it's time now for Chapter by Chapter. We're discussing Half-Blood Prince Chapter 2, Spinner's End. And as I said before the Puffs ad, Alex, you say this is one of your all-time favorite chapters. I just want to start by hearing why that is. um, I just love everything about this chapter from the writing to the plot. But I think the most interesting part for me is to see how people on the other side of the war were interacting with each other and viewing all of the events that happened. Um, Also, I just, on a personal note, love Draco Malfoy. He's my favorite character. Um, And this chapter is so important for his development. So, Mm, yeah. 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 And then, Stephanie... Are you on Team Snape is good or Snape is bad? Because this is obviously a critical chapter for Snape. Yeah, I I really dislike Snape. I've ne- I've mm. never liked Snape, and I feel like that's a very controversial opinion because I see the always everywhere um, oh, online. Oh God, don't get me started on. And always. I just I just hate it. <laughs> Do you um, do you two not know love? What is the problem with always? <laughs> he loves love. Lily always. My husband and I both ended our wedding vows with always without knowing that for each other. Oh my God, so I am so firmly on team always. <laughs> that's so beautiful. And now do you have something like in the home that says always and it's like a picture of you two and like did you add a picture of Snape in the corner or something? Yep. Snape is actually in between us. And do you both have Deathly Hallows tattoos? This is a long recurring recurring thing on this show. Um, No, but I I got Snape. Snape. Severus Snape is not as good a guy as the fandom sometimes makes him out to be. That's for sure. Uh, but this is his chapter. This is very, very much his chapter. So, um, Stephanie, you had a, another comment in here. Oh, I just, you know, 
I throughout the whole series, I was always kind of disappointed that he was, you know, like kind of a red herring in the sense that you thought he was bad and then he'd come out and he'd be good. And so um, I definitely thought he was bad. And so I said to myself, because this isn't from Harry's perspective, I was like, yes, he is really bad. And so it's not just Harry coloring my opinion, but even knowing his backstory, I might respect him, but I think he's just a terrible person. <laughs> he really is like, so what I love about this coming chapter is he's still pretty much unreadable. You right. you mm. get, you get a lot of like the JK Rowling. This isn't from Snape's perspective. It's sort of like a third party observer who's watching him relate to Narcissa and Bellatrix, but he, he very much is still playing the cards close to the vest there. Like, He's being forthcoming when he needs to be, but it's not at all, he's not endearing or trying to convince anybody. He's just sort of matter-of-factly going through the steps of answering her question. And he's doing it with a little cheeky. He's a little cheeky. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think something I forgot while rereading this chapter is that at this point in the series, we don't know what side he is on. So we're reading this being like, oh my gosh, maybe he really is on, on, on the dark side. Yeah, um, yeah, it sets up the end of book six really well because yeah, when he does kill Dumbledore, you're like, I knew it. Like the chapter <laughs> told me it was bad. <laughs> yeah, can you tell this book is going to be about Snape? Maybe we should have. Uh, I mean, the opening chapter and then the next one doesn't have Harry in it, and the second this is Snape's chapter. This is a chapter all about Snape. Harry's nowhere to be found. Can, we maybe we should have guessed who the Half Blood Prince was a lot sooner. Yeah, that's a great point. I didn't think about that either. Yeah. But um, it's crazy that we, you know, all of the backstory in this uh, chapter, not just uh, its connection to other chapters, which we'll talk about in a minute, but we get to see Snape's house. Like, this is presumably where he grew up. Um, And he gets his own servant as well in Wormtail. He's kind of living, he's not at Hogwarts for once, and this is what Snape uh, does, I guess, during his summer holidays. He comes here and... Yeah, broods, and this is one of the only looks we get at the personal lives of a Hogwarts teacher, which we've discussed before. I think we've touched on it with McGonagall. Like other than Hagrid's hut, I don't think we've seen any other professor's house. Yeah, um, other than like Slughorn, or is that just a movieism? Um, I mean, that's a new character at the same time too. Yeah, and that was just the house he was living in, like squatting in. Oh, true. Yeah, Yeah, he was chairing in. Chairing in. That's the the perfect term for that. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it is kind of funny to think about, like, how did Snape pick that house? Just like, we hear that there's a lot of books and it's a lot of stone. And and, wait, like, too, too many secret compartments, right? Um, The the stairs that go upstairs, pretty useful, hidden behind a bookcase. And there's another secret compartment that leads to the kitchen. What if you legit need to, like, go upstairs or go to the kitchen? How are you going to find those areas of the house they're yeah. both behind secret passageways i don't get it yeah and can um, you imagine snape going around with a realtor house searching <laughs> give me a, a this seat. one's not dark enough i need <laughs> less one. windows do you have anything not dingy enough. oh yeah <laughs> right anything musty really... that looks like it's not lived in very often <laughs> i really i need really bad curb appeal <laughs> you know what i don't think jk rowling likes clean houses or that, uh, maybe that's a commentary, how the Dursleys, who are like the worst characters in the series, have the most pristine house, but literally everybody else, even Bethilda Bagshot, world-renowned 
you know, witch is in this musty old, I mean, I guess that's because she was dead and dying in it, but, um, you know, even her house, there's no real nice houses. The mm-hmm. borough is pleasantly cluttered, but everywhere else. That's house. true. Um, it actually mentions on Pottermore that this is the house that Snape grew up in. So we know oh. that he grew up here and presumably Lily Evans grew up just a couple blocks down the street. So it's kind of an interesting look into Lily's childhood and therefore Harry's past. Yeah. And it also says something about Snape that he didn't want to leave that house. He probably, you know what? He probably does since he's at Hogwarts most of the year, like the school year. Mm. He probably inherited this house and just hasn't gotten rid of it yet. Um, I'm, you know, I'm presuming both of his parents are dead and he would have inherited the house. So he wouldn't normally live here except in the summer of this particular year to distance himself from Dumbledore because he's working for Voldemort. This seems like a strategic location where he would be located. And then, you know, we see Bella and Sissy, uh, which I hate that nickname, but whatever. I hate both of those too. Me too. They're terrible. (laughs) Just where they can go visit him. So we're we're talking about how this chapter connects uh with previous books and whatnot yeah um there's lots of references to the previous harry potter books here as as bellatrix tries to have snape explain himself because she wants to be convinced that snape is on the dark lord's side um you also um alex you found some interesting information about this chapter as well yeah um kind of going along with the fact that this is where Snape and Lily grew up in Sorcerer's Stone they when Vernon is kind of going crazy trying to find a place where the family can go that the Hogwarts letters won't follow them he goes to Cokeworth which JK later said is the town where Lily and Snape grew up so it's kind of interesting that JK never explicitly made that connection in the books because I think Harry would have liked to know he had visited his mother's hometown before. Not only that, but that's Petunia's hometown. Why would he take her home to escape uh, magic when even her sister was magic and was born in Cogworth? That that's actually a really makes good point. less good sense point. to me. Like clearly, magic is alive and well in Cogworth if her own sister, you know obviously grew up there like i wonder what the motivation if there was additional motivation that simply didn't make it into book one or you know of course we can't hold everything jk rowling says in 2018 up you know to the whatever she was thinking or doing in 93 but uh yeah i'm confused Mm -hmm. about that and um you know speaking of connecting the threads here wormtail finally reappears he was absent for all of book five yeah, I'm let down by this. Is anybody else let down by this? Why that he was absent and then he returns and like that's it? Yeah, he or- re- he's he's Jay. I think because there was a lot of speculation. You know, we waited three years after Goblet of Fire to get book five, and mm-hmm. it was another two years before book six came out. That's five years of wondering what Pettigrew's next step is going to be after successfully reviving the Dark Lord and being yeah. rewarded with a super awesome uh, silver hand. I mean, we felt for sure he was destined to kill Lupin. He was going to be, you know, restored to honor and dignity and and be a pretty terrifying presence in the Harry Potter series. Yeah. Uh, no, he's pouring wine for Snape and hiding behind 
corners in Snape's childhood home. Because he's a rat, figuratively and literally. Like, this guy is just kind of useless. Like, yeah, he came back and revived Voldemort, and he does deserve some some credit for that, which is a weird thing for me to say, being a good person. Um, <laughs> but I... I don't. I he's just kind of like he's just down in the gutter. He's just kind of a useless thing that that you know only what? comes into play when Voldemort needs him. You know what, and Andrew? I'm gonna I'm gonna go out on a limb and say that's what the Marauders thought too, and they were wrong. He proved them wrong. <laughs> yeah. They, well, I yeah. I mean, speaking of that, um, Stephanie, you you wanted to bring up a point about this is Snape interacting with Wormtail for the first time, as far as we see. Yeah, and I thought it was. I remember reading this the first time and thinking. Well, not the first time, but the first time I reread it after the whole series and thinking to myself, oh, my goodness, this is the first time that we've seen them together. And Snape, you know, had this huge love for Lily. And then Wormtail is essentially the reason why she was killed, because without that, you know, they would he would never have been able to get through the Fidelius charm. So you have (sighs) Snape, who did all this stuff for Lily, who's now living in the home with Wormtail, like he has a bed because he says go to your room basically to Wormtail. So they're like living together. And Snape <laughs> and Peter crazy. roommates. <laughs> yeah. Um Yeah, it's it's like one of those awkward scripted comedy shows, like what'll happen when Snape and Wormtail live together? Find out Tuesdays at eight. On the right side, Wormtail. How many times <laughs> do I have to tell you? The spoon is on the left. <laughs> and I mean, we know Snape hates this guy, right? Right. But I mean, Voldemort seems to not so, care about him very much either. So I don't know if that's like a running theme throughout right. the Death Eaters or it's just specific to Snape because he really loathes him. So it's kind of an interesting dynamic between the two of them. Yeah. This yeah. brings up one of the only things that I didn't like about the chapter, which is that they do all call him Wormtail. I mean, Wormtail was one of the like, secret jokes that the marauders had between them and so i'm just picturing bellatrix calling Sirius padfoot or voldemort talking about killing lily and prongs um and it just fell out of place to be calling him wormtail right because that's harry's Mm. parents name for him right well voldemort calls him wormtail too though i think it's advantageous in book four First of all, from a writing standpoint, for them to use code names because Voldemort and Wormtail are on the run, uh, and it's it succeeds at confusing generations of listeners who maybe didn't read the previous books, like me, who just picked up book four and then were like, "What? Who's Wormtail? Stupid name!" Uh, but it is kind of weird that it would be adopted by the dark side. I guess that Wormtail would have like let slip it's convenient because it, it's like it it makes it a, a it makes it easy for them to like think of him as less than human um by calling mm. him you know wormtail by this weird awkward nickname um i think it's used the way the death eaters use it make it like he's less than human like he doesn't deserve a human mm. name right and for us as readers he's like for fans of Lily and James, he's beneath contempt for what he did to them. So we don't mind it either. But it is kind of weird. You're right. Like, no, nobody, no other Death Eater has yeah. a nickname. So to get into particular moments that occur in this chapter, just as a, as a wide overview first, as we've been kind of touching on, this, is, this chapter is all about Narcissa, Bellatrix, and Snape. 
Um, the two ladies are heading to Snape's to question his loyalty and for Narcissa to ask Snape to vow he will kill Dumbledore if Draco can't pull it off, um, which is described in kind of broad terms at first. Yeah, we don't know that that's what Draco's been right. sent to do, uh, but it very obviously is. You can tell by the fear that Narcissa displays that, you know, and she's begging and pleading and, um, you know, really, 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 really begging Snape to protect her son, that whatever the Dark Lord has chosen for Draco to do uh, is going to be very dangerous. Yeah, yeah. And this this chapter is brilliant because Snape is playing both of them simultaneously. Yeah. Uh, for Bellatrix, this scene is about trying to trust Snape and Snape sitting there coming up with all these very valid excuses um, and then for Narcissa, this scene is about protecting Draco, and Snape's like, yeah, oh, yeah, I will do it, no problem. What's unbreakable about ba- unbreakable yeah. this? No problem. <laughs> but but this has been the plan all the long all along yep. anyway. Yeah, I, I it either has or the general. I, I tend to view it one of two ways. It's either that this was the plan all along that uh, Snape would be the one to do it, or as soon as this chapter ends, and of course we go back to Harry. Snape obviously informs Dumbledore of the parameters of the Unbreakable Vow, and then they're able to tailor the rest of the year towards that. I think, you know, Dumbledore does know he is a um, not only a marked man, but his days are numbered due to that curse that he recently sustained. And I think that because of this vow, that kind of solidifies plans that were already in order. I think the general direction had already been figured out, but once this vow happens... That sets in stone the events that lead to the the uh, night at the astronomy tower uh, at the end of the book. That's what I mm-hmm. tend to think happened. Eric, you you were also wondering how much Voldemort knows about Dumbledore's injury. Yeah, he brings this. So Snape is is very kind of um, very brilliant, very methodical and meticulous about explaining himself. He he actually tackles all seven or eight of Bellatrix's questions in the order in which she bellowed them, uh, which is very, I mean, I guess it's just a writing thing that it's all convenient, but he goes one by one and is able to itemize every one of her questions and address, but he lets slip that Dumbledore was recently injured. And he says that um, he plays it off like, Oh, you know, his reflexes aren't what they once were thinking that Bellatrix and Narcissa uh, won't think much more of it. But if Snape actually, I, I've wrote that it's a, um, a, a hazard uh, for Snape because if, if anybody asks how Dumbledore injured himself, you know, we know it was because he was destroying a Horcrux. Um, that's obviously big news for Voldemort if Voldemort finds out what Dumbledore right. was up to. So it's kind right. of reckless, right, for Snape to even mention the injury to one of his close Death Eaters. But I think the point was to say, oh, he's he's falling apart. Dumbledore isn't what he used to be. He's got this injury now, so, you know, we could easily take him down. Yeah. Wasn't that the purpose of it? Yeah, yeah. Very much like, oh, Draco might be able to handle it because Dumbledore's, you know, slower now. Yeah. 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 I also think that one of Dumbledore's greatest strengths or deception is that he plays himself off as this whimsical old man that's kind of out of touch with reality so based on what most people think of Dumbledore I don't think it'd be all that surprising to say he was tinkering with something in his office and caused an injury that way 
Yeah, so do we think that's what Snape kind of is going to, like, would say, or if he ever gets questioned, oh, you know, just just a cauldron explosion or something. Oh, Dumbledore was pairing his socks, and one of them came to life and (laughs) bit two of his fingers off. And now his hand is rotting. For me, it it seems like, okay, so Dumbledore is this, everybody knows he's a powerful wizard, he is formidable, to face it just kind of seems to me like what story could be good enough that would you know explain how he got injured because he i mean snape would have to do some work i mean dumbledore really just destroyed a horcrux here (laughs) yeah um yeah that would give away the game way too early uh so it was interesting just hearing snape slip up i wanted to point that out yeah um Concerning Unbreakable Val, I already touched on my point. Yeah, I just want to say in that moment, you know, part of why this works, why this chapter works so well for Snape is I think he was already willing to protect Draco. He was already willing to, you know, kind of take responsibility as the double agent. Snape has already assumed the full responsibility for bringing Voldemort down. The Death Eaters just don't know it yet. So, um, and, and, and also for infiltrating them, their, their ranks and getting Voldemort's trust. And so I think to a certain point, Snape at the beginning of this chapter, before the Unbreakable Vow, already had vowed or agreed to do what it is that Narcissa asked him to do. And I think it's Narcissa's um, emotional state, her, her, her sobbing, her worrying, her fear, that means that when she does make the Unbreakable Vow, uh, the the parameters of what she makes Snape vow to are kind of I don't want to say ve- weak, but they're they're vague enough, right? They're they're yeah. they're just vague enough that by the end of the book or by the aftermath of this book, we are able to see how Snape and Dumbledore together really made that work for them. I think it's in book seven where we really get that detail in in the pensive about how they had to kind of work around Snape's. Um, you know, vow in order to make sure Snape didn't get killed and die um, um, for, for breaking it. I'm also wondering if Snape was expecting either of them to come over. Yeah. Because we never really get that answered, and yet he seemed very prepared Yeah, he, he <laughs> to do all these things. I think things. it's one of the only times he smiles in the series is like, Narcissa, come in! Yeah. And, like, I don't know, I would probably need a few days to mentally prepare to make an unbreakable vow. It seems like a big deal that I have to think about for a little bit. And yet somebody's coming over and it's like, make the unbreakable vow with me so I can trust you. (laughs) I mean, he has all summer to be brooding over it. So he's probably just sitting in that dusty library just pondering what's going to happen. That's why he can answer all of Bellatrix's questions in his head. He's one of those people that comes up with questions and answers them in their head. Do you do you think he expected Bellatrix or Narcissa to come over? At some probably, point? I would think Narcissa. I think Bellatrix kind of was a surprise to him. Yeah, yeah. Um, based on the way that he received the two of them differently. Yeah, and an but, unpleasant one. Nobody likes Bellatrix. <laughs> she's not. You know, she's she's she's. Uh, what's the word? Fractured a little bit, and I I think mm-hmm. the fact that she's there adds an element of um, unpredictability to the whole situation, volatility to the whole situation. I think because Snape has already answered the questions to Voldemort too, the same ones he gives to Bella, he already has it all figured out. Like you said, I do agree he's the kind of person who 
runs through these things in his head, but he's already faced the highest scrutiny he ever will by answering these to the satisfaction of Voldemort. Bellatrix is just, you know, a child's plaything comparatively. Um, and, and we see her get stumped. We see her, you know, unsure for the first time after he answers all her questions. And she really kind of gets slightly put into her place with his narrative. Mm -hmm. Right. So moving on to, um, this particular line, which is now very interesting given the events of Cursed Child. There's a moment here where Narcissa is like, oh, I don't want Draco to get involved in this. And of course, Bellatrix, a Voldemort super fan, a diehard who would die for the Dark Lord. Um, Bellatrix says, you should be proud that your fun son is fighting. Um, if I had sons, I would be glad to give them up to the service of the Dark Lord. Yep. So she uses the word sons, which is interesting and, and fits what the canon introduced in, in the <laughs> Cursed Child. Um, but you also have to remember that Delphi was born around this time. She was born before the Battle of Hogwarts. Well, the Battle of Hogwarts is over 18 months away at this point. Right, but it still fits. Yeah. I mean, I, I, what, I'm arguing um, that this is one particular line that kind of suggests that Bellatrix actually would have wanted to have a child with Voldemort because perhaps in this moment, Bellatrix realized that she should talk to Voldemort <laughs> into doing the deed <laughs> uh, because she she realizes that Maybe we do need others to join the fight, or maybe I I need to have a child to fight for Voldemort. Yeah, Bellatrix what, definitely proves that she would be willing to put the Dark Lord first over the well being of her child. She's actually berating Narcissa for caring so much about Draco's well being. In fact, it's a suicide mission that Lord Voldemort has put Draco on. Can we talk about that? That's crazy, and it's all for punishment of Lucius's failings everybody agrees. Snape agrees. Voldemort agrees. Bellatrix agrees. And Narcissus agrees that Draco is not going to succeed at killing Dumbledore and he will probably die trying. Yeah. And yet, yeah, so Bellatrix tells Narcissa, Hey, if I had sons, I'd, you know, have be, they'd be, they'd be lucky to serve the dark Lord. Um, it just, it's twisted. It, it shows how devoted to him the Bellatrix is. And you're right. I think that, gives her an advantage when trying to woo him if I can't even say that with a straight face, but <laughs> woo Voldemort. <laughs> yeah. If she's like trying to convince him, Hey, we need more followers or loyal, uh, you know, nothing more loyal than blood. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Also with this, with the fact that he is punishing Lucius through Draco, it does show that he kind of views sons and daughters as an extension of oneself, which would make it a little bit easier to convince him to have kids. I feel like to him, it almost seems like it's another version of the Horcrux where he can yeah. live on. Also kind of disturbing that Bellatrix is like, yeah, Voldemort can punish the children of the parents. No problem. Who cares? Yep. The <laughs> sins of the father, right? Should not be visited right. on that. It's very not biblical. Yeah. Something else I noticed about this chapter, um, Bellatrix has a really hard time of being convinced of Snape's loyalty, but as Snape repeatedly brings up, Voldemort trusts him. And that's all 
that Bellatrix should need, right? Why is Bellatrix having such a hard time? Is this J.K. Rowling foreshadowing Snape's loyalty? What do you think's going on here? Why can't Bellatrix just go with it? I, I think it underscores just how much Bellatrix is in the Dark Lord's pocket because she's the one that's going to scrutinize Snape more than Voldemort does, right? She cares about Voldemort so much that she's going to you know, still not trust this slimy double agent guy. And I mean, because he is already, I think at least a single agent or a double agent. Like, yeah, they all think he's tricking Dumbledore for Voldemort when in fact he's pretending to trick Dumbledore for Voldemort while tricking Voldemort for Dumbledore. So they already know he's sort of his trustworthiness is in question. Bellatrix is that one follower who's really just going to have to see it for herself to believe it because that's what she owes the dark Lord in terms of being over scrutinizing. I also Mm -hmm. think that if, if Voldemort isn't telling any of his death eaters, what's what conversations he's having with Snape. I mean, just like the reader, we're kind of on the outside going, how is this all working? Like, how is he, because he didn't go join them right after the dark Mark um, burned, how is he going to explain that? And I think that as the reader, we're trying to figure it out too. Like, how did he go there and how was what he said adequate to, to Voldemort? Yeah, that is a good point. We learned all throughout Order of the Phoenix that Snape was doing the double agent thing. And I guess this was a much needed answer. More, This was more important than where's Wormtail. This was, you know, how is Snape keeping up this facade? Yeah. It also makes you wonder how would Bellatrix have reacted to realizing that Snape actually was on Dumbledore's side. I mean, she would have tried <laughs> to. She, she, would be, would, she would have dueled him to the death then and there. Yeah, oh, yeah. tried to, but um, I actually wrote down here who would win, Snape or Bellatrix? And Stephanie and Alex sounds like you both think Snape. Yeah, yeah. I definitely think Snape. Um, just with. Bellatrix, her power seems to be so like raw and emotional, whereas Snape yeah. is so calculated and able to separate his emotions from his task at hand. Right. She's messy. Right, Stephanie? Yes. Yeah, and I you know, she's very emotional too. Um, but I I mean I would have I personally would have really liked to see Snape actually fight because um anytime that we see him duel, it's either at the dueling club, which isn't really dueling, and then um also with McGonagall, which he was obviously trying to save and not kill. And then he yes. jumps out a window. So yeah, <laughs> yeah I would have right. really liked to see that because he seems to be a very accomplished wizard. Not only has so. he made his own spells, uh, but he has wandless magic and nonverbal magic. Mm-hmm. So right. every time I think when when Harry tries to attack him at the end of this book and he's literally being like protegoed or blocked before he can even, before the words can leave his lips, Snape is blocking him non-verbally. It's insane. He would absolutely win in a duel. Probably against many wizards. Oh, yeah. Um, in fact, Voldemort doesn't even duel him. He sets the snake on Because <laughs> right. Voldemort doesn't want to lose a fight either. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but probably not something he would admit to. Yeah. Losing the Snape. Yeah. Um. So let's talk about Narcissa, she clearly is looking out for Draco in this chapter. I wonder, does Narcissa already care more at this point in the timeline? Does Narcissa already care more about protecting her family 
than Voldemort winning. I love because, that. yeah, but b- by Deathly Hallows, she clearly just wants to take care of her family, save her family. Uh, but does she this early on? Is she already set? I like the question. I think that Narcissa as a character. I mean, this is really the only time we get Narcissa as a character until that scene in the forest. If unless I'm misremembering some major thing with Narcissa. We've the only time we've seen her before is like the Quidditch World Cup. Harry says to Draco that she looks like she's got dung under her nose um, mm-hmm. or something like she's barely in this series to get her to come out to Snape plead for the life of her son. Clearly what Voldemort has done has shaken her faith in Voldemort because he's just behaving childishly immaturely to to demand this essentially the sacrifice of her son of her firstborn, her only child for his gratification because of what her husband failed to do um, a month ago, like that clearly shakes Narcissa's faith to her core and her beliefs. And so I think if she's not all the way there, she's clearly like she's staunchly on her way. I agree with that completely. It just, um, it, it just doesn't, she doesn't really she hasn't really had an opportunity in this Harry Potter series for us to be like, oh, what's she thinking? But she definitely was one of those people who enjoys the status and the power and the privilege. I guess I would compare her to uh Lucius by or contrast her from Lucius by saying Lucius likes the power and the privilege and the esteem of being in the circles that he is, but I think Lucius is also genuinely probably a racist genuinely probably a bad dude um narcissa has her upbringing and her now family to thank for her positions but she's very much seen to value kind of the life of the ones that she loves over any kind of duty to the dark lord yeah i agree with that i don't know i mean it takes lucius longer to make the same decision yeah right and would we stack her with Molly and Lily in that she looks out for her family first? Like, yes, yeah, she's on the dark side, but perhaps at this point, not willingly on the dark side. And it, her her protection of Draco and her husband plays into this family, love, loyalty theme that we see throughout the books. I think that's a tough question to answer, um, especially because we are so tainted in our view of the family because everything we get is from Harry's perspective. Um, but based purely on the love that she has for her family, I would say that it's probably up there with Molly and Lily. Yeah. Well, for me, it's just a little bit disappointing that, you know, she has all this like love for her family, but I mean, to not realize that Voldemort doesn't necessarily care about his followers and, um, to put her family in danger like that, you kind of see them go through this process of being downgraded. And finally, when they're in Malfoy Manor, you can just tell that they have com- they're completely dejected. And so it's, I don't know, in, in my opinion, I feel like Molly and Lily were so courageous and so strong and always put their family first. And I feel like... um the Malfoys were a little bit short-sighted in what Voldemort's plans were. 
That's a really good point, Stephanie. Yeah. Do you think that Narcissa should have defected pretty much right after Lucius failed uh, at the ministry and was imprisoned that Narcissa should have maybe taken Draco to Dumbledore for protection? Um, I feel, I mean, I really feel like they didn't have a choice at that point. I mean, once yeah. you're, it seems like once you're in it, you're in it. And I think at this point, Narcissa just wanted to survive with her f- and make sure her family was okay. But right. I mean, if that's her goal, though, if that is her goal, I think she, everyone kind of, I, I, I don't think any Death Eater is, is unclear on what the path is that they're going down to. I mean, their path is war. Their path is upheaval of the government. Right. Uh, war. I think if Narcissa really cared about her family, she would probably take her son and get out. Um, right. No, and but, you but, always think you'd go to Dumbledore, but I don't know. I mean, if you had been on the dark on that side for so long, you might be scared of him. So they would probably have to live at Hogwarts in order to be safe, too. I mean, where are they going to go? Voldemort right. is going to well, tell place. his followers to go kill kill her. Grimald Place. You could put him in Grimald Place. It's, yeah, like, but the serious one. Well, he's dead at this point. Yeah. But sorry, maybe too soon. Well, I mean, oh, she is a. Well, she would even. Um, she would even. She's a black. She would even be a creature could serve her. Um, oh, that's a good point. Yeah, jeez, I didn't even think about that. But I mean, he, I don't think anybody would want Narcissa in Grimaud. No, place, nobody though. would. But everybody no. would, I think, indulge Dumbledore though. Uh, if guess. if if she had taken Draco to. Dumbledore and said, I fear for my son's life, you know, and can can you help me in any way? Dumbledore would have said yes. And he probably would have, we know how much he loves the Fidelius germ, so he would have probably said this is, a, and Snape would have allowed that to happen, and Snape would have put additional pers- like protections on, I think, Narcissa. I don't know, it would have been a, a vastly different series, obviously. If if I'm living at Grimald Place, though, I'm like, hey, Dumbledore, I mean, Hogwarts is a lot bigger. Can't can't she just stay there? <laughs> I mean, we're kind of, we're getting cramped here in Grimwald. Ugh, there's always anyway. extension chimes. Um, well, so I wanted to bring up uh, this point now from Alex. You wanted to touch on something about Draco. Yeah, um, I just think that this chapter reveals a lot um, to look forward to in this book because... In all of the past books, the trio, but particularly Harry, um, always assumes that Malfoy is the bad guy in the book, like when in the Chamber of Secrets, they think he's the heir of Slytherin, but Draco always turns out to be a red herring. Um, But with this chapter, JK clues us in from the very beginning of this book that Malfoy does have some sort of sinister role to play. Um, so it's one of the only times in the series that the reader has info that the trio doesn't. So I was just wondering if having this extra info changed the way you read the book or viewed the interactions with the characters. Yeah. Well, for me personally, it did because I was so frustrated the whole entire book. Oh, because thank you. you. See, <laughs> you see Harry go through all this terrible, you know, he's he's witnessing these things. He has really great intuition and nobody believes him. They all think he's crazy. And it was it was really frustrating for me because we have that chapter and because we have all that knowledge that the Harry doesn't. Yep. Huge, so. huge source of frustration for me as well. Um, I wasn't nearly as frustrated as I was all book five, but. This is right. this is tough. He's like, oh, Draco's evil. And everybody's like, oh, not you and Draco again. You're always talking about how Draco's a bad guy. Come on, Harry. Get off it. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but Jumping over to the chat right now, we have a bunch of people listening live on patreon.com slash mugglecast. Concerning Lily and Molly, Isaac says, I think she potentially sacrifices just as much for her family as Lily and Molly. She puts herself directly in danger of Voldemort when she says Harry is dead in order to stop the battle, just like Lily placed herself between Harry and Voldemort, and Molly put herself between Bellatrix and Ginny. Yeah, she gets there Great eventually, point. but Narcissa does it at the 11th hour. Yeah, when there's like, yeah, but still, I yeah, that takes guts because oh, yes. what if, because she could have, she definitely could have died at the hand of Voldemort. But he died, luckily. Um, okay, so, Eric. So we're doing some of these, uh, we're doing a number of fun segments uh, as a part of our uh, chapter reread. And for this particular chapter, I came up with one. We're going to have a little crackpot theory session. Uh, this segment has existed before on MuggleCast, but it's going to be a little different. Anyway, I was reading a, uh, this chapter and based on a throwaway line, I have come up uh, with a crackpot theory that I'm going to present to you guys now for your Uh-oh. thoughts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, I'm going to say that Bellatrix has a Fidelius charm guarding a major secret of hers. Uh, so I, I, the reason I brought up uh, the Fidelius charm that Dumbledore uses to conceal Grimald Place from the Death Eaters uh, when that gets mentioned, as Snape is going through uh, the history of things, Snape specifically says uh, to Bellatrix when she asks, why haven't you told him, uh, meaning the Dark Lord, the location? He says, I am not the secret keeper. I cannot speak the name of the place. You understand how the enchantment works, I think. Question mark, question mark. <laughs> and I took that to mean that Snape knows that Bellatrix has used the Fidelia's charm to hide a big major secret in her life. So what if um, what if that's true? What would Bellatrix need to hide? And who is she hiding it from? She had a child. <laughs> that's what she's hiding. <laughs> Snape knows because Snape seems to know everything. Snape delivered the child. Yeah. yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, no. He gave her a push. potion to make it easier. I don't know. Push, Bellatrix. Push. 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 <laughs> push. Yeah. Push. Maybe. Uh, it Snape also, and Micah sound like each other, come to think of it. I think. Hmm. Slow, deep. And you know, I've never push. seen them in the same room at the same time. <laughs> um, <laughs> I wonder. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I think you bring up a good point here. Snape's tone, it's either sarcasm or, well, it, it's, it could potentially be sarcasm referencing something he knows of. Yeah. In which he, he could be her, uh, he could be insulting her intelligence, which I think is not above him or not, not below him. Um, mm-hmm. To be like, you know how it works, right? I can't tell. I would tell. Mm-hmm. I can't tell. You know how it works. Um, but if you read it a certain way, it seems like he's saying, you know, the Fidelius charm intimately, Bellatrix. Right. Um, I wonder if it's also to maybe the secret is that she's guarding a Horcrux. Because um, Voldemort gave a Horcrux to Lucius and he gave a Horcrux to Bellatrix. And Bellatrix in this chapter is all about we share everything together. Um, you know, maybe she yeah. is hinting that there's some kind of uh, a charm protecting the vault at Gringotts. And only because uh, Griphook or whoever it is that's a goblin that maybe has different rules of magic that allow him to say that the contents of her vault do include this thing, whereas otherwise mm. that would not be known or, or able to be done. 
based on the charm that might uh, be involved around her vault. That makes sense. Yeah, that is an interesting idea. It kind of brings up the loophole, though, of like, why would you just not put it on every single thing that you wanted to keep a secret? Um, But I think that that is really interesting to think that she had a Fidelia's charm on the vault. Yeah. Or something. Right. Yeah, extra. You would think there would be extra layers of security and some with something so important, and that could have been one of them. But I mean, we we do keep hearing how Gringotts itself is a layer of security times a thousand. Right. Uh, it's right. just that a bunch of teenagers break into it successfully that makes us, <laughs> right that makes us that makes us question that uh, it's yeah. like me and the Ministry of Magic and Cursed Child, which is the second yeah. time that children break into it. Um, yeah. But anyway, that was. Uh, fun but now let's get That's back. a crackpot theory yeah I, think- I mean if I, if if cursed child hadn't happened i may have looked at this chapter the same way as you and been like why did she say sons why not daughters either yeah i know because draco is a boy but yeah. it, it seems it seems weird to leave out daughters would bellatrix have treated a daughter the same way well, probably not bellatrix strikes me as being sexist <laughs> against okay. women i think it's true uh-huh yeah. Okay, so MVP of the week. Who was the most valuable player in this week's chapter? And part of the game here is that we each have to pick somebody different. We can't pick the same. Um, so I'll, I'll go first. I'm going to say those elves for having to make human wine. We learn about that in this chapter. This is the only reference we get. These poor elves, they have enough to do. Now they have to go around stomping grapes for humans <laughs> are they house sure elves well, you think or other types of elves or well or it what? just said elf elf made wine i believe it is so, a good question i'm kind of assuming it's house elves or house elves yeah. adjacent these poor people i mean what do they have to do everything what's next they they make beer they make uh we already know they clean homes well if it were an option for them maybe they'd love to be like have like a wine connoisseur elf Winky would be perfect for that. Yes. <laughs> Red by Winky. Winky would definitely <laughs> be the taste tester for an elfing for an elving wine outfit. That would be that would be great. Um yeah, I think too it's probably house elves. JK Rowling had that comment that there are no little people at Hogwarts when she refuted what whatever it was that they wanted to do in movie three. Um, because Alfonso wanted to put in a race of little people or something. And, he, mm. and J.K. Rowling was like, um, no. Uh, so I think that in terms of elves, the only elves in the Harry Potter world are house elves. I don't think that there are woodland tree elves or anything like that um, in that universe. So it probably is house elves. Eric, who was your MVP of the week? My MVP was the Unbreakable Vow, which is not a person. But in terms of what it does for the story, like I said, I really think it helps shape uh, the future of the not only this book but the series, the fact that J.K. Rowling is able to introduce this um, little unknown piece of magic, uh, pretty cool stuff. Or, or maybe she brings it back. Does Ron bring it up before this moment in the series or after this moment in the series when he says that? after? After? Okay, after. great. So this yeah, is because I didn't know what the unbreakable vow, like what the consequences were. Because when you read it, you don't know what the consequences are it's still unclear because ron says you die but ron could be wrong it is still unclear and that's very ron to have a dramatic idea like that you die you (laughs) you die 
Yeah. I mean, but it I th- I tend to believe it is death because the stakes are so high, but Ron could yeah. be right. It's like unverified. Okay, cool. So, and I, I'm just looking at the lexicon, and in, in chapter 16, we learned the Weasley tw- twins tried to get Ron to make one when he was about five, but Arthur caught them at it. It makes sense, like as an older brother, you would be like, "Hey, Ron, if you don't follow this unbreakable vow, you die." Yeah, it's just like a like dramatic. You stand thing on one leg that. for the rest of your life, or you die. Right. But I think the reason that I think it was Molly that got so mad at Fred after that was because the stakes are death maybe that's Mm -hmm. why right like like you could have actually killed your brother so you are in a big major timeout like i'm more angry with you than i've ever been because Mm -hmm. the stakes are so high so yeah um jk rowling introduces this little piece of magic Right at the end of this chapter, and it forever changes the course of the series. MVP for me. Stephanie, who's... All... Oh, sorry. Oh, go, ahead. go ahead. No, go ahead, Alex. I was just going to say, I think we're all hoping that we'll learn more about the Unbreakable Vow now that Fantastic Beasts is potentially going to have one in it between Dumbledore and Grindelwald. I love that theory. Yeah. Me, yeah, me too. too. Stephanie, who's your MVP? Okay, so even though I'm not a Snape fan, I definitely think Snape is the MVP because, man, he is so good at playing his part. Um, everybody's convinced that they're on his side, and yeah. he's just so smart. But also, as a as a side, I also think Narcissa for putting up with the name nickname Sissy, which I hate. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it so fitting sister. that her nickname is Sissy and she's Bellatrix's Sissy as well? Yeah, mm. just having Bellatrix call her sissy was just, sissy, it just threw sissy. me for It shows how <laughs> immature Bellatrix is. Right. Such a childish Yeah. Name. And then Alex, finally? Yeah, um, I said that MVP was Wormtail because his impressive levels of denial for being Snape's servant, <laughs> like he just cannot accept it. <laughs> yeah. And Snape is almost kind to him in a moment when he's like, oh, well, we can talk to the Dark Lord about having you know finding something else for you to do and i think he meant it seriously i was like wow that's kind of nice of snape it's such a veiled threat it's like uh oh yeah we can give you more dangerous missions if you don't want to go fetch the wine (laughs) which i would think that sounds appealing to wormtail given what he's done so far yeah and now let's rename the chapter so what if we didn't call it Spinner's End? What if it was something a little more fun, a little more to the point? My idea is Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince Chapter 2. No, Harry's not in this one either. <laughs> <laughs> that one's my favorite. She should have done a 38-chapter book with no Harry. In it. <laughs> that would have been- oh, my God. Fans, could you imagine if fans, like, they'd be so pissed? It would have been crazy buildup for him a- a- reappearing in book seven to take on Voldemort, right? To have an entire yeah. year from outside his perspective. Anyway, um, my nickname for my alternate title for this chapter, Harry Potter and the Half of Prince chapter two, Requiem for a Fox. <laughs> the chapter opens up and you know what? We knew that JK Rowling was building up for book seven when she started killing small animals, innocent, helpless, defenseless animals like Hedwig. Uh, but she started on this fox. So, poor fox poor fox i poor feel real fox. bad for it <laughs> the forgotten hero the for- <laughs> it just wanted mvp it was, it's living by this dirty river it had it was eyeing some trash hopefully an old fish and chip wrapper it just wanted some food trying to make its living come on jk 
I mean, that hurt worse than Hedwig when I read it again. <laughs> I was just going to say, this is kind of like preparing us for the blow of losing Hedwig. Yeah. How about you, Stephanie? <laughs> okay. Um, so mine was um, Half Blood Prince Chapter 2, Wormtail, you mad, bro? <laughs> <And> <laughs> I just loved how Wormtail like slams the door and goes to his and sent to his room by uh, Snape. So that's what I came up with. <laughs> yeah. And last but not least, Alex. All right. I've got Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince, Chapter 2, Tinker, Taylor, Soldier, Snape. <laughs> Love it. I feel like that espionage oh, yeah. plays a big role. Oh, yeah. I see what you did there. John LeCare could have written this, uh, this chapter. <laughs> so, uh, believe it or not, on our next episode, we will discuss Half-Blood Prince, Chapter 3. And Harry will be in that one, along with several other characters. J.K. Rowling got all these introductory moments out of the way. So if you have any questions or comments about the third chapter, email mugglecast at gmail.com or go to mugglecast.com and you can use the feedback form on the website. Or maybe you want to call in with a voicemail. We'd love to hear your voice. One nine two zero three muggle that's one nine two zero three six eight four four five three, or tweet us. We have a ton of ways to get in touch with us. There are no excuses, and we really want to get your feedback about the chapter. Yeah. So thank you in advance. Read along with us. We're having a little book club. Yeah, please do. All right, Eric. It's time for some quizich. Time for quizich. Last week's question: On what floor of Grunnings, the Drill Company, is Vernon Dursley's office located? This is back going back to book one, chapter one. And the answer is the ninth floor. The quote from the chapter is Mr. Dursley always sat with his back to the window in his office on the ninth floor. If he hadn't, he might have found it harder to concentrate on drills that morning. He didn't see the owls swooping past in broad daylight. Dot, 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 dot. So it is ninth floor. Congratulations to everyone who got this right. We did get a couple of guesses for seventh floor, which is wrong the correct answers <laughs> the ninth floor and it was submitted to us by natalie asim ryan home chicky that might be my new favorite one next to uh count ravioli home chicky <laughs> justin noel count ravioli of course the aforementioned yes. uh robin vanessa sean lauren sonal cameron joshua jess charlie and sarah aka Weensy, congratulations. You have won Quizich this week. You won an open bar for 20 people <laughs> <laughs> for two hours. Gotta figure out how we're going to use that. That's going to be good fun. That I know. Amazing. I, was, I can't believe that. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> trivia. Have either of you done Harry Potter trivia nights? I want I... to so bad. I just can't. I don't have any Harry Potter friends at all. Oh. <laughs> Know, Send us along. Sad. We can join you via FaceTime. Yeah. <laughs> How about you, Alex? I attempted to go to one last week, actually, for um, Harry's birthday party. One of our local um, bookstores did it. And it was so packed that it it wasn't even worth trying. <laughs> oh, yeah. I know with the ones that we go to, we have to put our name down far in advance. Like they have a registration period. Yeah. That's smart. I mean, there were 45 yeah, I mean, separate teams, all of like six yeah. people last time, or four to six people. Yeah, it was huge. The, the one bar we go to, it has a big area in the back to host these trivia nights, which they do weekly. 
yeah. the different themes. But, but if you try and get any of the smaller bar ones, it's so much more difficult. Yeah. Uh, you got to get there pretty much during the workday, uh, mm-hmm. which going to a bar during a workday, not the easiest thing. Next yeah. week's uh, Quizits question, though, is we're back on track. I couldn't find any specific facts from chapter two. That's why this week's or this past week's was uh, a different chapter. But this next week's ch- uh, question for Quizits does entail stuff from chapter three, which we're going to read. Um, and that question is, what piece of muggle technology did Harry fix that he relies on in chapter three of Half-Blood Prince? Mm, so okay. Harry's got something of a, a he's a gearhead or something. He, uh, <laughs> Fred and George t- took some lessons of uh, electrical engineering or something. So. <laughs> Speaking of next week, we're not entirely sure what we're doing next week. I'm not sure if we're going to have a episode. A couple of things are in the air. So if we aren't here next week, sorry in advance, uh, but we will be back the week after that just some things came up that um yeah travel is a little bit wonky um we're yeah. we're not sure when exactly we can sit down to record so like andrew said it is i would i would i would kind of prepare for there not being an episode but we may have a surprise as well but we we will keep everybody posted on twitter.com slash mugglecast and facebook.com slash mugglecast and uh on patreon as well and speaking of Patreon, thanks to everybody who supports us over there. If you would like to support us, we would love that because it does keep the show going. And uh, one of the benefits is being on the show like Alex and Stephanie were today. Um, there's also access, early access to our show notes. You get access to our recording studio, so you get to listen to the episode early when we record on the weekend. Uh, there's a exclusive Facebook group. We'll ask for your comments and questions for use on the show we do bonus muggle cast we release additional stuff every month we do giveaways we do so much on patreon patreon.com slash muggle cast you can pledge as little as two dollars a month um and you'll receive benefits at beginning at two and going up to ten per month and then finally just another reminder eric you will be at LeakyCon. he'll be doing a couple panels don't be afraid to say hi to him and Eric, I, I assume we'll hear what you and your fellow panelists gleamed during your discussions. Yeah, I'd be happy to do a recap on uh, the next uh, episode for sure. Uh, Andrew, you will be missed. I know. Not going to be able to make it after all. I am sorry. But um, we will, uh, you know, I look for- forward to hearing how it how it goes. Going all on my own. All on my own. Lonesome. Yeah. <laughs> It's going to be a big empty hotel room, a big empty bed with nobody on it. Because oh. <laughs> I sleep on the floor everywhere I go. Anyway, oh, yeah, you will be Alex. missed, but uh, <laughs> I made yeah. that up. Uh, you, you will be missed. Um, well, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Um, Alex and Stephanie, hope you had a great time today. It was so amazing. Much <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us. You both did great. And... Uh, I'm sure Mike is going to love your impressions, and he's going to more <laughs> importantly love your thoughts. He's going to say, "Oh, they, they can they can fill in uh, for me anytime." <laughs> they were great. <laughs> <laughs> totally sound like me. <laughs> I'm funny. I'm Micah. <laughs> um, yeah. So thanks again, and thanks for your support over at Patreon, and we look forward to having this episode out. With yeah. Thank you, guys. Your voices, sure thing. Uh, And thank you for listening. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. 
I'm Alex. And I'm Stephanie. We'll see everybody next time. Goodbye. Bye. 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 Have you yeah. guys put it in the uh, dishwasher at all yet? Yes, I have. no, we I have. haven't yet either. <laughs> I haven't used oh. it yet. It's just been sitting on my shelf. Oh, but it oh, arrived. Okay, okay great. <laughs> yeah, um, it's 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 holding up well in the dishwasher. We've asked people have wondered, is the dishwasher safe? And it, it di- seems so. Yeah, um, it's been dishwashed at least you know probably upwards of six times. Microwaved as well. <laughs> as a recommendation, if you are going to dishwash it, uh, dishwash it at the top of the dishwasher, which is away from the jets. It'll be a little bit less, you know, a little bit more gentle. Uh, on the mug, but uh, I don't have a dishwasher, so th- to be honest, this this conversation, this uh, question threw me for a loop because I've been hand washing everything for about I've, seven I've been years. testing it. I've been working my dishwasher around the clock to see when <laughs> it's finally going to start showing some wear. The, the stress the water test bill is going to be interesting, Andrew. Okay. Yeah, we're we're on the five uh, hundredth cycle now, and it's still holding up. So <laughs> this is a joke. This is a joke. So uh, yeah. I don't. I can't confirm, but um, (laughs) 